go ahead and turn Luke chapter 10. We're going to ride on over to Luke chapter 10, figure out our key text on our story for today, figure out where we're going. Here it is. After the Lord appointed 72, these were the disciples. Jesus sent them out ahead of them, two by two, in every single town and place where Jesus was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out the laborers into your city, into your harvest. Verse 3, he says, go your way because I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Highly motivating. Carry no money bag. Somebody got it. Knapsack or sandal. Greet no one on the road. And whatever house you enter, say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace or if the man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if he's not, then the peace will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter into a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick. And when you do, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter into a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to my feet, I'm going to wipe off against you. Nevertheless, this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than it was for that town that didn't receive you. Now, skip on down to verse number 17. This is the same story. The 72 that Jesus just sent out, now return to him, somebody say it, with Come on, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons, this was amazing, even the demons and the lions were subject to us in your name. And then Jesus responded, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, but behold, I have given you authority to tread over serpents, scorpions, lions, and over the power of the enemy, and nothing, somebody say nothing, shall hurt you. Nevertheless, Jesus says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That your names are written in heaven. I love it. Here's what I want to do today with our time. I want to talk about how we can see the restoration of your city. How can you see your family, your workplace, your coworkers, and the people that you are called to, your place of influence? How can we see the restoration of these areas? How can we see heaven come down and darkness destroyed at the same time with your family, with your children, with your neighbors, with your workplace, and the very areas in which you spend the most time? And I want to use three scriptures out of this particular story to talk about them so that we can have some practicals about how to walk through. First one, verse two, this is what Jesus says. This is why I want you to go about practically walking out the restoration of your city. He says the Lord uh, says this to, to his disciples, the 72, but he also says it to us. The harvest is plentiful for the laborers are few. Now, here's how I want you to do it. Therefore, pray earnestly. There it is. Here's your answer pray. If you, if you have your Bibles, underline it, circle it. If you're taking notes, write this simple yet very difficult thing down. Pray. You want to you see something happen externally with your relationships? You want to see things restored? You want to see forgiveness happen? Pray. You want to see more of heaven come down at your work and see more of an environment that's life-giving? Pray. Don't pray in public. Just pray in secret. We're going to get into that next week. But for here, just write down the simple idea. Pray. P-R-A-Y, pray. Pray is a, a two-fold, it's, a, a two it's a listening, 
and it's also a talking. Prayer, when it comes to our relationship with God, is not a monologue, but it's a dialogue. A lot of times we think of it just as a monologue, and we have a one-way relationship. Any one-way relationships are not really going to last. They're going to be really frustrating. Come on, I don't want you to raise your hand or nudge your spouse, but can you just think about times in which you have had either a conversation that turned into an argument that's usually just one-sided. I got a point to make, and you need to listen to it because it's super good. And then once you do that, you just keep driving the point home, driving the point home. You don't give the other person any time to think or process or even listen or respond. You just, you just go one way with it. monologues. Use your not very conditioned for healthy relationships. But that's usually what we do with our relationship with God. We tell him, hey, God, it would be awesome if you showed up. Hey, God, it would be great if you answered this prayer. Hey, God, if you could show up here. Hey, God, I'm really having a bad day. Hey, God, can you speak to me? Give me clarity. Every single moment, we just ask him to show up, but we don't stop sometimes and just pause and listen. So I want you to take notes. Prayer, when you're talking about relationship with God, is both giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. The receiving happens first, the giving happens after. You listen to what God has to say, and then we speak out his words. You enter into, whenever we do this, we enter into God's presence by getting into his word. We listen to what he has to say, and let that be the normal conversation that happens out of the overflow of our hearts, because what we're filled with, we give with. I mean, what happens whenever you uh, binge watch a TV show? When you go to work the next day, what do you start talking about? That TV show. You can't get it out of your mind because what? That's what, you, that's what you filled your soul, your heart, your mind with. So that's what you give with. What would, it, what would it be like for some of your relationships that you would be filled up with God? You would receive everything he has for you. You'd receive his love. You'd receive his forgiveness. You'd receive his for, uh, freedom. You would receive his grace. You would start to receive parts of his mercy. You would start to receive parts of his truth. What happens when that stuff gets in you? fills you up and comes an overflow and then you start speaking and acting in accordance to more of what God has to say and what God's doing. What would your relationship start to look like then? You would start to see restoration. You'd start to see hope. You'd start to see life in them yet again. From the simple fact that you pray, you receive and you give. And you do this the very same, the same uh, area and the same way that God gives to you. He says, I want you to give freely because you have received freely. Come on, somebody. I want you to give freely because you have received freely. So how do you give love to someone that just doesn't deserve it? I mean, you know their actions. You probably, because you're so awesome, you know their motives. You, you know that they don't deserve love. How do you give love to that person that just annoys you? God says, give them love the same way I gave you love, unconditionally. Then you'll start to see the restoration. Heaven starts to come down. Darkness starts to be destroyed. I'm gonna, I told you I'm going to give you three scriptures. That's the first one. The second one is uh, verse 9. I need to hang out with this just for a minute, but let's just, let's just get to it. He says this two times, one in verse 9 and one in verse 11. He says, heal the sick. And, and when, when that happens, when heaven comes down, when provision happens, when answered prayer happens, I want you to tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, I, I need to teach on this just for a little bit. So if you're taking notes, get, get your pen ready. I got a, a lot to say because there's, there's going to be some context that I want to build on and I want to make sure you're following. The kingdom of God is the reality or the environment or the culture of heaven. 
you write that down. It's the reality, it's the culture, or it's the environment of heaven. When you and I dream, when you and I think about heaven, what's it going to be like one day? Well, Jesus only talks a little bit about the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be amazing, but the problem is sometimes we hope more in where we're going than who's going to deliver us to be there. And God says, I don't want you to misconstrue the point. The point of heaven is that God's presence, I, Jesus says, I am going to be there. That's the point of heaven. And so, but he describes it every once in a while. And when he does so, the very first thing that Jesus says when he comes up on the scene, the very first thing that after he gets baptized in all the gospels, he says, the kingdom of God is, is here. Now, to us, we don't have a background uh, that's Jewish or Israel. We didn't come from the Old Testament background. But if, if we did, we would realize this was the hope of everybody back in the book. From, from very beginning, everyone said, hey, listen, things are really bad right now. But one day, God's going to come. He's going to send somebody, and we're going to call him the Messiah. He's going to come and bring hope to our world yet again. He's going to destroy darkness. He's going to bring down heaven, and all of earth is going to be restored. New heaven and new earth is going to come. We're going to get new bodies, probably get new food. We're going to see things we've never seen before. Everything is going to be amazing. But that time just kept getting pushed off and pushed off, and pushed off, and pushed off. And their hope deterred, and their hope increased. And, and continually, time after time, we read through the Old Testament where the kingdom of God, the promise of Jesus coming down, the promise that God would come visit his people would come, but it never did. After 400 years of silence, then Jesus comes in in the face of a carpenter, which would kind of throw you through a loop for a second. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here. You can imagine the people just erupting with praise. Yes, what we've been waiting for. I've heard stories of my dad and my grandpa and my great-grandfather all talk about this. Let's do it. Let's see this. And then when you see the meek and mild Jesus just start walking through, you're thinking, why aren't you flipping over tables and destroying nations and taking out governments? Because his method was different. And his method for the restoration of all things was through humanity for the kingdom of God to come. That was his primary message. Through the four gospels, you hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven over a hundred times. It probably needs to take note in our life that if it's important to Jesus, it needs to be important in us. So if this is, if this is the reality or the environment of heaven peaking down on earth in our lives, I wanna use another, uh, another piece uh, not kingdom, because we really don't use that language. We usually don't use that term very often, if at all, here today. What we usually use when we talk about this description is a word called culture. And culture is the product. I want you to write this down. Culture is the product of what is said and what is done. I want you to go into spaces. You can go into your home and listen to what's said and, li and look at just what's being done. And, and be between the two, you'll see a certain type of culture. So you, you'll, you'll move into a space. You, you go into businesses. You go into places. You go into environments. And particular environments will produce a certain mentality. It'll provoke a feeling. And it might actually stir up a certain type of action. That's what cultures do. The church does it. Whenever you come in here, you, you hope to get stirred up by, by some behavior, some mentality, and maybe, hopefully, by God's grace, some sort of action. Are you following? Culture is the byproduct of what is being said and what's being done. 
So what did Jesus come down here speaking? What was the language of heaven that he wanted to bring down here to just cultivate the rest of us? What did he want to say to us? What was the language of heaven? The language of heaven was love. It was life. It was life-giving. Every word that he spoke was life-giving. Everything that he said, whether he was teaching, whether he was counseling, whether he was giving direction, it was life-giving. Because I want you to take a step back. Look at the cultures that you are a part of. Look at the home. Look at the workplace that you're a part of. Is, Is the language, the very conversation, and the words being articulated, the conversations that are happening, are they lifting up? Are they building? Or are they breaking down? Proverbs says that you have the ability inside of your mouth to either give life or give death. Therefore, speak. Come on, somebody. Therefore, speak life. Come on. This this is exactly what Jesus wants to do. So one of the ways that we can see the culture that we're building is just by taking a look at the language that we use. What's the language that we use? Language builds culture and actions reinforce it. What's the culture that we're looking at? What's the culture that Jesus wants to bring down from heaven to earth? Now, if, if uh, I just told you the, the product of a culture is what is being said and done. We just talked about Jesus' language and his words are life-giving. They're, they're life-provoking. They're growth. They're, they're building up. They're not breaking down. Then, then let's shift over and talk about his lifestyle. What, what was he doing? He says that everything that he physically did, every action that he unfolded was only because of what he saw his father in heaven do. And if that's the case, then he's trying to bring down a culture of action. So what was the lifestyle that he was bringing? The lifestyle that Jesus was bringing from heaven to earth that he wants you and I to walk out is a lifestyle of love. It's not just in word, but it's in deed. He wants us to love like he loves. He wants us to to see people like he sees people. So how do we do that? We pray, we, we receive his heart, and we give his heart. Come on, you following? This is how cultures are being built, about how we say things and what we, what we do. And, and so I want you to follow me because I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna move just a second here. When, when we look at spaces and cultures, environments and atmospheres, we move into those spaces, we come into environments so that we can actually have certain behavior and certain thoughts. Let me just give you an example at which at some point in time you have uh, went into a gym. Uh, You've joined a gym at some point in time. Why do you go into the physical space of a gym? It's because you want the culture of the gym. You want to move into a space in which actually provokes you to think, hey, I need to get healthy and I I need all of your help. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about? You go in there and say, okay, if you're riding the treadmill, if you're getting the elliptical, if you're bench pressing, I'm bench pressing. If we're going to go in there, I need a space that's conducive to what my hope is my goal, which is what? Transformation. Listen, the reason why we go into the gym is we want to go into a space in which moves us to action and a certain behavior and feeling so that when we leave there, we're changed. And if you're not, you need to go get your money back. You go into the gym, you use the equipment, you get the trainer, you give them money, you invest so that you can come out and during the times that you're not there, you can say there is a change. So come on, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Healthy, life-giving cultures are going to reverse nature. When you have something dead being put in a life-giving culture, it produces life again. 
Come on, if, if, if the purpose of you going inside of a gym is because you're not in good shape and you're not healthy and you want to lose weight or gain muscle, whatever the case may be, you want transformation, you want the nature of who you were to change for your physical body, right? You following me? Are you following? This middle, good? Left side, good? You go in, thanks. You go into a gym and that changes. But, but here, here's the difference maker. It's one thing to go into an atmosphere it's another to get that atmosphere into you. Come on, somebody. It's one thing to go into the culture of a gym so that you can start thinking about health and you can start moving health and you can start having a lifestyle of health. It's one thing to go into that atmosphere, but the hope, the purpose of that gym, that space is to get you thinking about health moving you to action while you're outside of that space. It's one thing to come into the environment, into the culture, but it's another thing to get that atmosphere into you so that when you leave that place, everything you do, you can eat well, you can work out, you can stretch, and you can think about health so the next time you go into that space, you can get the most out of it. Come on, you following? Same thing in the church. It's amazing whenever we can come in here for like an hour during the week and say, man, this is so awesome. It's a life-giving culture. I always feel better when I leave than I did when I came in. But it's one thing to go into the, the atmosphere and the culture of heaven, and it's another thing to get the church into you. Come on, somebody. It's one thing for you just to get into the Word. It's yet another thing to get the Word into you. And that's what God wants us to do. I love that you enter into environments that everything that's being said and done is honoring, life-giving, grace-filled, mercy-bound. But what I want, what I'm hoping is that those cultures and those personal uh, characteristics and descriptions will actually get into you so that whenever you get more of the word, you get more truth, you get more grace, you get more God's presence, everywhere you show up, you can say to them, the kingdom of God is here. this is what Jesus wants and if this is what he wants this is also his warning so here's practically how we're looking at this Luke chapter 10 we're walking through this particular story and I read you verses 1 through 20 but I skipped verses 13 through 16 And I said, hey, uh, we stopped at 12. And then I said, let's skip down and go to verse 17. This is what it looks like. This is our entire story of Luke chapter 10. But I skipped verses 13 through 16. If you read this in your Bible, you would think verses 13 through 16, Jesus starts talking about three cities. And you start thinking, um, where are you going? Maybe it's out of place. It's out of context. It it doesn't belong there. It's a... Maybe he's just talking to some other people and then he's going to get back to his real story. This is all one story and it's all one purpose. And because the center is 13 through 16, I believe the center focus is the restoration of cities. He, Jesus starts talking about three cities and this is what he says to him. Woe to you. Warnings to you. Man, I'm, I'm deeply moved because of these three cities. He says, mighty works God has done in these cities. Crazy, amazing things. Heaven came down. Darkness destroyed. Lions kicked out of town. Heaven coming down where answered prayers are there. Revelations, freedom that people had. Everything that you can think of, it happened in these three cities. But Jesus says, this is what I have against you, is that they were still yet unchanged. Let me say it like this. Heaven came down to the cities 
but heaven was never allowed to get into the people. So here's the problem. We can see great moves of God. We can see great things happening in your life. And you can see great actions and great answers to prayer. Your journal can be filled up. God's speaking to you and you're in church and you're encouraged. But until church actually gets into you, until the word of God gets into us, until truth penetrates our heart, until we can actually see life transformation in our life, we're on the brink of danger just like these cities were. Because what God doesn't want to see is just what we do and what we have. That's not our significance. We just traveled through that in January. Our identity doesn't come with the significance and the encouragement of what we do that comes from who we are. So let me go down to verse 20 and just reiterate this point. Jesus has his 72 people come back after fighting spiritual warfare, uh, trampling over demons, destroying darkness, uh, throwing Satan down from heaven. And he says, it's amazing. Nevertheless, verse 20, he says, 